Well, good morning, everyone. How many of us are excited about what God is doing in the church? How many of us are well aware that the Holy Spirit is moving in a unique way? Not that He hasn't moved this way in other churches, but when I say unique, taking us on a turn that's greater than what we've experienced before. How many of us realize that these next weeks and months ahead of us will very much determine what kind of a church we are going to be? Whether we will continue to be the church that God has greatly blessed and has given us many opportunities of experiencing His grace and learning of His grace and experiencing His move among us? Or will we be the church that, as it were, springboards from what God has done into becoming a church of such unique greatness in the Spirit? That the kingdom of God is moved and is empowered beyond our wildest expectations. But you see, if we believe that and if we want that, there is a cost. There is always a cost to a greater experience and greater walk in God's grace. There's always a cost. Let's be opening our Bibles this morning to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And you remember last week that Keith began to share with us concerning the Lord's desire to emphasize this particular section of Scripture for this church at this particular junction in our history. Second Chronicles, did I say, or Corinthians? Chronicles 7.14. Let's read along. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then... I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal the land. Last week, Keith shared the necessity and the significance of humility. As we began to speak through the aspects of this particular passage of Scripture. And he told us that the great doorway... Humility is the great doorway to the prayer life. That humility is the soil of this particular passage, out of which everything else will grow. And without biblical humility, we will not pray, and we will not see God's face, and we will not turn from our ways, nor will we be able to. 
We learned last week that as we humble ourselves before God, that we will be by God humbled unto prayer. For the work of humility by the Holy Spirit is not a work just in and of itself having no repercussions or no fruit coming out of it. No gardener spends the time and the energy and the money and the sweat and the toil laying down that rich soil on his farm and sits back and says, Now, look at the soil. Doesn't it look great? Look what I have accomplished. But there's always a purpose. And all of that soil is laid down preparatory to having what? A great harvest. A great harvest. And so we learned that last week, we learned last week that the soil is God's preparation for great work, without which there can be no fruit and no harvest. And so we are humbled under prayer so that we will be able to pray and to seek and to turn from our wicked ways. Why? So that God will hear and forgive and heal. Because you see, essentially as we discuss all of these things and as we participate and are participants in what God is doing, it occurs in us by the Holy Spirit. But it always goes back to reveal and to glorify Him who will hear, who will forgive, and who will heal. And as we look at this passage, I think it's extremely important to understand and make sure that this passage really gives us one essential condition for God's work. That one essential being broken down into four aspects or elements, if you would. Because what we don't want to portray during this particular series is that there are four things we're dealing with. And that at least I'll try to get two out of the four. But that particular one I'm not so sure about, so I will stay away from that one. It's all four or none. You've heard of the, the song, You Can't Have One Without the Other? Some of the older folks will remember that song. You can't have one without the other. And so, hearing me sing like that, you know why I'm not the worship leader. But also, each of these is inseparably linked. Inseparably linked. And so, when humility occurs, and when humility is engendered in us by the Holy Spirit, prayer will be the result. And this morning, what we want to do is to look at prayer and to see what does it sound and look like. What does humbly generated prayer sound like and look like? Let's join our hearts in prayer. Father... Father, to confess that we need you is the largest understatement that a man can make. Father, we pray this morning that we will not make this statement except we feel the full weight of it in our hearts.
Father, would you cause us to feel, to experience our utter lack and inability in ourselves and our total need and dependence upon you. Father, we know that this is very much the issue in prayer. For the more we are dependent and realize it, and the more we are experiencing our own weaknesses and inabilities, the more we will seek your face and pray and turn. Father, do that work of humility in us. Touch our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. Open us this morning to receive the seed of your word. And Father, cause that seed, as we began to hear last week, to germinate in us so that you may make this church over into the house of prayer that you desire. Father, cause us to know how deeply we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. If my people pray, if my people pray. You know, throughout the Scriptures, prayer has been shown to be the very heart of God's work among His people, out of which He builds His kingdom and overcomes all of the opposition. And this morning, as we begin to look at what does prayer sound and look like, I would like to begin like this as I felt the Holy Spirit putting this on my heart to impress this truth upon us very strongly. One of the most imperative truths of the Word of God is this. And I quote from a man, I don't remember who said it. If you remember who said it, you can let me know now or later. But I believe it's absolutely true. E.M. Bounds. I should have known that. That's where I got that. E.M. Bounds. I was bound to know that and I should have. There is an imperative truth. An imperative truth. And here it is. And we don't believe it. But listen this morning and believe this truth. God does nothing. I want to take a moment. God does nothing. Nothing except through prayer. I want that to sink in. Because I want us to consider what we need, consider our lives in Christ, consider the work and the future of God's work in this church. And to remember this, because if we don't have this ingrained in us deeply, we are not going to pray the way we need to. Because those who pray the way God wants them to pray are absolutely sure and confident of this one truth. He does nothing except through prayer. You see, we know this, that only God can change a heart. 
Only God can change circumstances. Only God can do the things that are needful in our lives. Nothing happens in God's kingdom or in this world, in the spiritual area of the world, without prayer. Now, we're not talking about getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going to work. We're obviously talking about the things of God's kingdom, the most important things, the things that will last forever. He governs and directs everything through prayer. Prayer is the mightiest weapon that God has given to the church and is the most fundamental of all the weapons of our, prayer, of our uh, warfare. Let me share a couple of verses with you that I hope will show us this truth. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, the word says, Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, also who intercedes for us. Hebrews 7.25, perhaps many of us remember this verse, that Jesus always lives to make intercession for them or for us, the church. Remember in Hebrews 1.3, talking about the excellencies of this great Messiah of ours, the word says that He, Jesus, upholds all things by the word of His power. So what do these verses tell us? They tell us this, that at this moment and forevermore, there is a man in the heavens seated at the right hand of the authority on high, having been given all authority in heaven and earth, who intercedes, who prays, who represents us before God and God unto us. And everything that is done in God's universe goes through and is achieved via, if you would, the vehicle of the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. That's why we said God does nothing except through the intercession and the prayer and the representation of the Lord Jesus at the right hand. If you want to see the power and the effectiveness of prayer, look at that one solitary man who entered the garden that evening late to pray. And the word says this, and Jesus came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he knelt down and began to pray. And by the way, Mark's gospel said he kept on falling to the ground. He kept on falling to the ground. Saying, Father... If you will, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in a great agony. For he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became as drops of blood, falling down upon the ground. 
And then he returned to the disciples and said, Arise, and let us be going. For behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Even the great victory of the cross of Jesus Christ, I believe, was not possible except first via the victory in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The victory of the cross was won in prayer. What does this mean for us today? This has more than cosmic implications for us. More than cosmic implications. If the victory of the cross was necessitated by prayer, and not just by a prayer, but agonizing, persistent, passionate, fervent, praying, and wrestling with God. How much so the necessity in our own lives. You see, just a cursory look at the lives of many of the men and women of the Bible who were used to move mountains and move seas and stop all kinds of natural occurrences or to bring them about or to raise up nations and to bring down nations and to do great works upon the earth. Just a cursory inspection of these people's lives. Paul and Moses and Abraham, Daniel, Elijah, Peter, women like Hannah and Ruth and Esther and Mary, great people of God whose lives simply changed the course of history we will find this, that prayer was not just something they did. It was who they were. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to know today that this church is not to be a church where prayer is something that we do, but that prayer is something who we are. That we are God's house of prayer. Remember the early church. The power in the early church was found in their praying. Where praying was not just what they did, but praying was who they were. Remember this verse from Acts 4.31, And when the church had prayed, the place they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. You remember, Peter was locked up in jail. And the church didn't send a group of people to see the councilman. Although I don't necessarily think that's wrong. But the church did something first before any activity externally or in the flesh as others could see. And the church, when Peter was locked up to be killed the next day. So Peter was kept in prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church unto God. You remember what happened? The church didn't have to go out on the street with placards. The church didn't have to have signs and whatever sign, you know, when you be these petitions, although not necessarily contrary to those. But first and mostly, the church hit their knees and God moved 
in the hearts of the unsaved, secular, those who don't believe in God, those who had all the power on the earth, God moved and broke it all and brought forth His man. Now, if He did it then in a church that prayed, can He do it in us, in this church, if we will pray? You see, if we are to experience the presence and the power of God as they did in prayer, as that church did, as those mighty men and women biblically and in throughout the history of the church, we must become, prayer must become the centerpiece of this church, not just something we do, but who we are. Can we click that thing up here? No one is going to click something now. There's a little publication which Keith shared, I think, last week, or he shared among some of us. But this is what God wants our church and every church and our lives and our families to be, where prayer is the very center, the very central focus, the essence of the activity in the Spirit where everything begins in our heart toward God in prayer. And it goes out from a heart of prayer into the various areas of our lives. And so prayer will be undergirding everything of not only the church's activities, but of our personal activities in our lives. It's not just, I want to pray about something. I want to pray about this and these things are happening, therefore we need a little prayer. But first, prayer connects with God's heart and His mind and His power. And we begin to receive from God, and then we begin to move in those areas where God has instructed us as a result of prayer. So we want to make sure that we understand what God is saying this morning. We don't want just some additional prayer activities in the church. We want the church, sorry, God wants the church to be prayer-soaked and infused and focused. See, the Lord desires to challenge and encourage us today to become warriors in prayer. Not warriors, warriors in prayer. So often we are warriors in prayer rather than warriors. He wants us to be a church that wrestles against sin and against the principalities and powers. He wants us to be a church that wrestles for the move of His Spirit in the church. He wants us to be a church that wrestles for His glory to proclaim in all the earth. He wants us to be a church that wrestles until Jesus comes back. And wrestling involves strong, strenuous, and sweaty work. It involves preparation. It involves strength. It involves determination. That's what He wants us to become. What does prayer look like? What does this kind of prayer, wrestling prayer, look like? <laughs> During the School of the Word this morning, we're going to have a time of prayer. And we've generated, I think we've done this already, haven't these been done? We've generated some copies for everyone. And whether you're here or are not going to attend, we still want you to get a copy of this. And what we've done is, actually what Keith has done, is put together some information concerning prayer. And it's two particular sheets. It's two different sheets. And the one I want to make attention to this morning is an outline or a format of prayer. You see, what we don't want to do is to say, we must be praying. And you're sitting there saying, fine, I don't know how to pray. We want to begin to help and show how to structure our prayers 
concerning the prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples as the model prayer, you remember the Our Father. And so would you please pick these up, and we will be using these this morning during the prayer, um, the time of the the school of the Word. But I want to use an acronym this morning called ACTS, which is, again, another model. It's an acronym that is used to assist us in the structure of our prayers. First, A, adoration. All four of these should be present in most of our prayers. In some of our prayers, we may just have one or two. Sometimes we may pray just one aspect of this. But for the most part, these four should be part of most of our praying. Adoration, which is praise and worship. The desire for and acknowledgement of God's glory, of his integrity, of his character, of his honor. Listen to what Daniel prays as he reads the word from Jeremiah. About 70 years have been assigned to my people to be in the house of bondage. And in the year 67 of the 70, Daniel reads this, knowing we only have three more years to go. We're almost out of here. we got only three more years. We're almost done. And he says this to God, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and are keeping His commandments. He begins his prayer with great adoration and praise to God. Nehemiah, who was moved upon by the Holy Spirit to lead the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, begins to be burdened before God for this great need. And he calls upon the Lord, first with praise and adoration coming before the Lord to say, And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Jehoshaphat gets a word that there are 150,000 angry Ammonites and Moabites outside the city. They all have swords and spears and shields, and they're saying nasty things, and we are going to die. And Jehoshaphat rises up to pray. And this is how he begins his prayer. With this extreme problem ahead of him, He begins with praise and adoration. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? Art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand so that no one can stand against thee. When you're faced with the calamities and the problems and the vicissitudes of life, rise up and begin to give God the praise and the worship and call upon Him who is great and mighty and awesome. Second, A and C stands for confession. Confession of our personal and corporate sin. Because as we come before God, we must be aware of what's wrong in us. And as it were, clear the decks, clear the decks of our hearts, clear the decks of our motives and of our attitudes and of our thoughts and of our desires, so that when God moves, He can move clearly through us as unfettered channels for His great glory and His power. 
You see, it's not so much that we don't have the power of God. We have the power of God. We just don't have it moving very much because so often our pipes are clogged up with sin and preoccupation and worldliness. And it is in this confession that the Holy Spirit, as Steve Roberts would do, would get that rooting machine or whatever you call the thing and put it in the pipes and begin to churn away all the gook that clogs the pipe so that the water may flow freely. Amen? That's what confession and repentance does. Listen to Daniel's confession. As he has praised the Lord, then he says, We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, or princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. We must confess our guilt before God. Because as we confess our guilt and our sin, that paves the way for God to work repentance in us, which clears the way for the move of His mighty power in us. <clears throat> T for thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God for His provision and blessings and faithfulness and grace and on and on and on. Thanksgiving. Gary Ricucci at Sovereign Grace several years ago said, gratitude not expressed is not gratitude. And you know, that really struck me because I have been a grateful person who has not been good at expressing it. Therefore, I believe the Holy Spirit was saying, you ain't that grateful. And the reason I did not want to express gratefulness, thank you for this and thank you for that, because there was a four-letter word behind it. P-R-I-D-E. Now, those of you who went to New Orleans will understand what happened. Went to school in New Orleans. Why wasn't I willing or excited about expressing gratitude? Why do I still have struggles with that? Because, you see, pride doesn't want to be dependent on others. Great gratitude to God. Let's be a people who express our gratitude effusively to God, openly and privately. The activity or the command of giving thanks to the Lord is mentioned 110 times in the New American Standard Bible. I don't know why King James doesn't have it that many times, but they missed it maybe. But 110 times in the New American Standard Bible. Giving thanks unto the Lord is peppered throughout the Bible. Give thanks unto the Lord. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. S stands for supplication. I think that's a big word that means to ask. To ask. It's asking God for the meeting of our needs and for the needs of others. It's asking for God's help. It's asking for His ministry. Now, of all the areas of prayer that will be mentioned, this is probably the area that most of us are mostly familiar with. And if we're not careful, we're going to think that in and of itself, this is what prayer is really about. I need to worship God. I need to thank Him. I need to confess my sin because I have to get to this area where I have a need and I need to ask that. So I know I need to go through these two or three steps in order to get to the real issue and the real heart of prayer, which is to ask God for something. Don't we do that? 
But you see, I think it's extremely important to remember that our asking is not the heart of prayer. All that we do in prayer, A-C-T-N-S, all of this is the heart of prayer. We don't want to make prayer aspects and individual portions. It is our entire being coming to God and expressing all of this to Him. All of this is prayer. Now, when it comes to this area of supplication, it's not so much that our prayers move God, although they do. It's more that God is moving in us and through us in our praying so that we are being wooed and won and drawn by our praying into joining Him in His work. And in that context, you see, He is giving mercy and moving in power. Our prayers are not God's payment for our work of prayer. You see, God doesn't pay us for the work of prayer. It's not that if we put in an hour of prayer, God will issue out 30 minutes of power. Because if we're not careful, we're going to begin to think, well, I'm going to pray and God's going to begin to move. Well, that may be, and let's hope that is the truth. But we don't want to have the attitude that because I pray, God is now obligated. I have spent a certain amount of time or I've done a certain thing in prayer. Therefore, God is going to come along and say, okay, good, you've done that. Now I'll do this part. We have to make sure we don't have that attitude in prayer. You see... His answers are not payment for our work of prayer, but the activity of His mercy. It's always His mercy and His grace. As He uses our prayers to minister mercy to us and to do the work that we have asked Him to do as we have been led by the Holy Spirit to ask. Remember in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help. A grace to help in the time of need. How do we find mercy? How do we receive help? We have to ask. We must ask. Remember what James 4.2 said? You have not because you ask not. God obligates us, requires us to ask. You see, it's an issue of humility and dependence. Well, God knows my needs, so I know He'll do it. No. God knows your needs. But unless He overrides your pride with just sheer mercy, He will not do it. We must ask. Jesus told us to ask. You remember that? Ask and it will be given to you. In fact, it's a continuing tense. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Remember in John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We're commanded to ask. But you see, when we ask, we must ask specifically. Have you watched any of the news films from all of these wars that we've been involved with? And it's amazing the laser technology and the exactness. I mean, they can put a 200,000 or 2,000 pound bomb right through the doorway there, right? With these planes and guided whatever's in lasers, and some of you know what that is. They can literally pinpoint the target. Now, you're World War II. You just dropped a lot of bombs and you hit everything around there and you hope to goodness you didn't hurt too many innocent people. 
But nowadays, they can pinpoint the target. So war is much more effective and much more able to get to the enemy's strongholds and overcome the resistance of the enemy and the ability of the enemy to strike back. Why? Because, you see, our weapons are able to be specifically targeted where the general wants them to be specifically targeted. And this is exactly the way our prayers should be. The general, who is Jesus Christ, wants us to pray according to His will, so we're going to aim our sights where He wants us to, and then He's going to give us the specific target at which to aim, and then He's going to say, Fire! in prayer. And when we do that, He presses a button, and prayer does its work. Specificity according to His will. Prayer must be on target according to God's will. Remember what Jesus asked the man who was calling upon him? He says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus wants us to be specific. Oh, I just want you to bless the church. Well, great. Then if you're praying like that, then break it down into five issues then. I want him to do just a wonderful work in my family. Great. Then break it down to specific issues. Ask God for the issues. 1 John 5.14 says, if you ask anything, ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God will hear us and He will answer our prayers. <clears throat> what will effective prayer accomplish? What will it do? In James 5.16, we read these words, the effective, and King James puts fervent. Now, I'm not so sure, but I like that. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. What is that much that it accomplishes? What is our most basic need in prayer? What is our greatest weakness? Our greatest weakness and our greatest need in prayer is prayer. Have any of you found that out yet? Our greatest weakness is not that this be done or that be done or something in me be done. There's a more fundamental weakness because the work of God to accomplish that which we see that is weak and wrong or out of place or sinful about us is not in place. You see, when we come to God in prayer, we are to be bringing our weaknesses to Him, not our strengths. Remember what Hebrews 4.15 says at the end of the verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. The prayers of a righteous person availeth much first because of humility. Because, you see, we are bringing to God our weaknesses, not our strengths. And as we do that, we are asking for and depending upon the infusion of, of His almighty strength in our lives to overcome, override our weaknesses and to do what we're asking God according to His will to do. Spurgeon said this, When you are engaged in prayer, if you plead your strength, you will get nothing. Then plead your weakness and you will prevail. I believe our single greatest weakness and need this morning and every day 
is biblically effective prayer. You know, when I look at my own life and all the things that I do, and I don't do that much, but of the things that I do, and I say this because it is absolutely true and God knows my heart. I feel that prayer is my greatest weakness, needing the most care and the most strengthening, is prayer. Then what do we do about it? What do we do? We ask. We go to God and what? Ask. You remember what we said? We have not because we ask not. <clears throat> And if you're in the same boat with me and you feel, man, this area of prayer is the most difficult for me. I, I feel that I don't accomplish anything. I feel that I don't know how to pray. I've really never prayed. I was brought up in a church where everybody else prayed or we just had some prayers that we said the same routine every day. So I don't know anything about this. If you were there, then join the rest of us in this whole area of experiencing and really knowing that we are genuinely weak in this area and need a whole lot of strengthening. And let us do what the disciples did in Luke 11, 1, when they said, Lord... Lord, teach us to pray. What must it have been like when they saw that man touch the dead boy and he rose again? When he cast out a demon? When he raised a dead man from the grave? When he brought back blinded eyes and ears and crippled people's limbs? When he stopped storms and hurricanes? When they saw the work of that man, they knew that that work was built on prayer. I said, oh Lord, oh Jesus, teach us to pray. I believe that was behind, what was behind that was a desire, maybe mixed, muddled, but nevertheless a desire that God loved. Because we want to work the works of God like you do. And greater works than these shall you do. Spurgeon says again, I believe that when we cannot pray, it is time that we prayed more than ever. Pray for prayer. For the spirit of supplication, pray your soul into heat. Never cease in prayer for any reason. If there's any prayer that I have prayed over the last many years more consistently than any other, it's been this prayer. God, make me a man of prayer. I would rather be a man of prayer before God than a preacher of the gospel and a teacher. Give me the choice and I'll take the ministry of prayer hands down. I really will and I love doing what I'm doing. But I see, we see where the power is. It's in the engine room. It's in the compressors. Spurgeon took, as was his custom, people through his church on tours in his big metropolitan tabernacle, which is just the, only the front of it is still remaining. The thing was bombed out during World War II, but just the front of it is still remaining. And a church has been built behind it. And he would take them through this great metropolitan tabernacle. This man who had the largest crowds in a church of almost any man 
during those days. And he says, you really want to know the secret of the power of this church and the power of the gospel? And he took them down the stairs into the basement, into the rooms where during the services of the church there were a company of people praying. May I be bold this morning? I believe that this church during the first service needs a company of people back there praying during this entire service who will then go to the second service and then those who would go to this service. Did I get it? You're the second and back and forth. However it works, I don't know the mathematics of it, but I believe that both of these services and all that we do on Sunday morning should be engined and empowered by the people on their knees in one of the rooms. Every Sunday we gather. Even if it's one solitary soul, Elijah by himself stopped heaven. See, pray to pray. Pray for passion. Pray for content. Pray to be on target. Pray to be effective. Pray for God's will. Pray to pray. God, if you don't do anything else in my life, make me a man or a woman of prayer. Make that your single prayer request this morning. Make me a giant in prayer. Oh God, that we would become a praying church like that. We would have to build 20 this size to put the people in when God began to strike in this city. What happens if we don't pray? You remember when God met Moses on the mountain and the people were worshiping the golden calf and God said, stand back, Moses, stand back. I'm going down there, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start again with you because they've sinned against me. Stand back, I'm angry. My wrath is going to come against them. You remember that? The question is, had Moses failed to pray, would God have actually destroyed the people? Yes. We don't think so, do we? He'd have gotten another way to raise up somebody else. He'd have found he would have destroyed his people had Moses not prayed. Moses' prayer averted a disaster. If Nehemiah had not prayed for the rebuilding of the wall, would God have used him? to lead in the rebuilding of the wall? No. And the greatest example is if Jesus ceases to intercede on our behalf before the throne of God, will we be able to be maintained before the presence of our awesome God forever? No. Everything is done and upheld through prayer. Everything. I don't believe that there is one molecule that moves or exists in this entire universe except it is prayer empowered and prayer guided. I truly believe that. 
What happens when we pray effectively? What happens? What will happen if we become a house of prayer unto the Lord? Well, what will happen is we will be transformed and God will begin to move mightily. What happened? When Daniel prayed, God released the nation from captivity. What happened? When Nehemiah prayed, God rebuilt the broken down walls. What happened? When Moses prayed, he spared the nation from God's wrath. What happened? When Jehoshaphat prayed, 150,000 Ammonites and Moabites were destroyed. What will happen if we pray? If we pray the way the Holy Spirit wants us to pray. That way, where prayer is central to all of our lives and all of our thoughts and activities and desires. Does the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous believer accomplish anything? Does it? You see, if we don't know this, we won't be moved and motivated to pray. We must have reasons. We must have proof. Does the effectual prayer of a righteous person accomplish much? The dead were raised because of prayer. Diseases were healed because of prayer. Seas were opened because of prayer. Barren women women gave birth because of prayer. The eyes of the blind were opened because of prayer. Demons were cast out because of prayer. Men and women were delivered from strongholds of sin because of prayer. Nations were defeated because of prayer. And most important for us this morning is that we were saved because of one man's praying. Does prayer accomplish anything? Are we beginning to get in ourselves a growing sense As I asked in the beginning, a feeling for our inadequacy and need of God in prayer. Are we growing in a sense of our need for more effectiveness in prayer? Are we more aware of our lack in prayer? What will Lakeview Christian Center look like if we become a house of prayer. What will we look like? What will our alphas look like? They've been wonderful. But what would they really look like? What would our families look like? They may be wonderful today or they may not be wonderful. And are they where they are and happening, what is happening because of lack in prayer? Yes. Yes. Not only lack in the individual families, but lack of the church corporately. What would our attendance look like on Sunday morning? This place should be packed, jammed in both services, people running over in the aisles and out the doors every time we meet. Why? Because we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only hope of our lives. Why aren't we packed out every Sunday? Lack of prayer. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us fervently pray? At least on Saturday night, fill the place, fill the place, fill the place. Lack of prayer. What would our giving look like? What would our giving look like? 
we're doing well in this area, we appreciate, but what would it look like? What will God's presence among us be like? Will it be like the Solomon the presence in Solomon's temple where the presence of glory came down so much that everybody had to stop everything? What will our circumstances, our difficulties, our problems, what will they look like if we pray? What will my life look like if we pray? What are some of the needs that the church has that we believe God is ready to meet if we pray? What are some of our needs at this time at Lakeview that God stands ready to meet if my people pray? Not just pray for activities, but prayer this way. A greater presence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in wisdom and discernment, faith and healing. Friends, we need a greater working of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this church. We are desperate for the gifts. But why aren't they prevailing? I believe because a lack of prayer. Are we praying fervently for this? A greater work of God's transformation in my life and all of our lives. We're seeing so many lives in the church where there's so much roller coaster and there will be some ups and downs, trust me. But why are there so many bondages that last for so many years in people's lives because of a lack of prayer? Glory! I was delivered from strong bondage first because I was in prayer for a period of time before I ever realized that the enemy would attack me in a particular area. God developed me in prayer first. Thank God He did that. I'd have been destroyed probably. Had to leave town or whatever because of sin in our lives. We don't know what's around the corner. We better be praying. You don't know who's around there and what He's going to do. We've got to be praying, church. We need favor with the state of Louisiana and the city of New Orleans for the expansion of this church. We're putting together some stuff for them. And we'll be letting it known in a greater way. But we need prayer. God, give us favor with the state for parking. God, give us favor with the city for giving us a permit to build in this area. God, give us favor so we can get the property next door. God, give us favor so we can have a church where we can sit all of our people and double the size of what God wants to do in this church. We need prayer. We need prayer for the funds to do this. Where God will open the purse strings of heaven in our lives. And dump upon us the riches of His glory in coinage. We need prayer in parent and youth relationships. We need prayer and so much more at Lakeview Christian Center. You see, God is eager for us to come. Come unto me, Jesus said. Come unto me. God is eager to hear us. The Word says, He hears us. He inclines His ear toward us. God is eager to grant our petitions. He is eager for us to come to Him and to let Him see, show us what I will do. The question is, are we eager? Are we persistent? Are we passionate? Are we believing? See, all that remains for us to do is to rise up 
and to become the house of prayer that God desires. I close with this quote from an old hymn. Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings as His house of prayer. Amen. As I conclude... Many of you have a copy of this book. It's a wonderful, very simply put together book on how to pray. And it starts you off at a level where everyone can do it. Many of you may have copies. Some of you don't. Could we encourage you to purchase this book at the book nook or if it's not there to sign up to go ahead and get a copy because we'll be ordering some. And follow through with Dick Eastman as he gives you Twelve, I think it's twelve very practical steps for developing a prayer life. You will like this book very much, and it will help you very, very much. The name of it is The Hour That Changes the World by Dick Eastman, for those who are watching on tape. <clears throat> Let's join the hearts in prayer. Father, Father, we remember the words of Jesus when he said, Be careful how you listen. Father, we believe that you have shared with us this morning your burden. It's not mine, it's not Keith's, it's yours, which we share, but it's your burden. It's a burden of the Holy Spirit for us to become a house of prayer. Father, we want to hear the warning injunction of the Son of God when He says, Be careful how you listen. Father, just to have listened this morning and to have gotten some thoughts and received some inspiration, hopefully, and not to do what You're calling us to do will bring about a greater level of ability of Satan's attack in our lives and success because we are walking flagrantly disobediently. Father, would you rebuild this church side to side, top to bottom, bottom to top as a house of prayer. Father, where prayer is not what we do, it's who we are. And then we believe in the greatest way possible We shall see your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we uh, just take a five-minute break just for folks to go to the potty and let some new folks get settled in here? And we're going to come back and we're going to pray together.